I actually find it a lot more liberating to remind myself of all the ways that I'm not special. Even if I accomplish something, success, however I choose to define it, 99% of my time each day is spent doing very, very average things, worrying about very, very average problems and messing up in very, very average ways. But I think when you focus on that 99% of the stuff that is like everybody else, it liberates you because you realize like, oh, my problems are actually not that unique. Come on this journey with me. Each week when you join me, we are going to chase down our goals, overcome adversity, and set you up for a better tomorrow. I'm ready for my close-up. Hi, and welcome back. I'm so excited to reintroduce you. We've had him on the show once before, but today we are revisiting Mark's, based on his global best-selling self-help phenomenon, The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F-Bomb, is a cinematic documentary designed to help us become less awful people. Literally, Mark Manson has a movie, and we're sitting down here today with him talking about it. Mark, thanks for making time to be with us today. It's good to be back. Okay, so let's get into it. First of all, it's kind of funny thinking about all of the success, massive success as an author. I bow down to the millions and millions of books that you sold. So impressive, so incredible. However, in your teachings, when you talk about quote unquote success, I'd love it if you could kind of share with everybody what that, you know, achieving millions of books being sold, if that related to happiness for you. That's a great question. I mean, it's funny because in the short run, yeah, for sure. It's exciting to see the sales numbers come in. It's exciting to see the money come in. But in the long run, it, it's 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 amazing that the mind adjusts to the new normal so quickly. And those same anxieties and preoccupations and doubts and stuff still exist. It's just they change, they they like take a new form, you know? So it's like before the book, I used to be anxious and insecure of like, well, nobody's going to like my book. Nobody's going to buy it. And then when everybody bought the book, now my anxieties and insecurities is like, well, nobody's going to like the next book. Nobody's, I'm a one hit wonder. This is never going to happen again. How do I top this? You know? And so the, the anxiety is the same. It's just the surface of your life shifts and changes underneath it. Number one, thank you for being honest and sharing that because it makes me feel better about, you know, having those same fears and concerns and not having had that incredible success. So thank you for that. But what's interesting is in hearing that, you know, you're projecting, oh, what if this isn't successful? So many of us have heard or have been taught, you've got to put out there what you're going to expect. You've got to feel that that success has already happened. How do you think that you have been able to achieve not only one success, but multiple successes in your career without having or leveraging that methodology? I just think in terms of actions, like worthwhile actions, I try not to label things too much of like, okay, well, this makes me a successful person and this makes me a successful author. I I feel like the, the labels will just trip you up as much as they help you. Like maybe they help you early on to get motivated, but as you're going, they they can become traps. And so I try not to think so much about like what makes this movie successful, what makes this next project a success. And I just try to focus on, okay, let's make the best movie possible. Let's make the best book possible. What's the message that people need to hear that nobody's saying right now? Okay, let me go write that book. And then, you know, let other people talk about success. You know, it's if I if I just leave that discussion out of my own brain, 
as long as possible, it things tend to go better, I find. All right. Well, you're talking about not labeling things. And while you might not like to label things, you do like to have your own law, Manson's law of avoidance. So can you break that one down for us? Because I find that to be pretty entertaining. (laughs) Yeah. My ego just was insatiable. So I had to to start naming (laughs) laws after myself. No, the Manson's law of avoidance says that, that people will avoid experiences in proportion to how much it threatens their worldview and identity. And I think that's really important because I think most people have had the experience before of, yeah, obviously you get anxious and avoid negative experiences, but a lot of us, we also get anxious and avoid positive experiences as well. You know, like that huge opportunity comes around and you kind of freak out and you blow it. Or, you know, a person you really like, you finally meet somebody you really, really like, and you think there's a lot of potential with, and you find a way to screw it up or make up an excuse to not see them again. And I think most people have had this experience at some point in our lives, and it doesn't make sense. We often like get upset and beat ourselves up like, wow, I'm such an idiot. Why would I do that? But if you look at it from an identity perspective, it actually makes a lot of sense. Like Your ego's job is to keep things the same at all times. Like it doesn't matter if things could be better, it doesn't matter if they could be worse. If they're different, that is scary and uncomfortable. And so your mind is always trying to kind of trick you into staying in the same spot and doing the same thing and believing the same things and feeling the same things. And so anytime you try to break out of that default state and change something in your life, it's going to be accompanied with certain amounts of anxiety, anger, sadness, insecurity. It's just part of the process. And I think this is really important to understand because it's a credit to, I guess, self-help marketing over many decades that I think a lot of people have kind of developed this assumption that growth is this, it's like a weekend retreat. You know, it's like, it's euphoric. You're going to be like singing and screaming and like hugging strangers when like, oh my God, my breakthrough finally happened. I'm a new person. Like, let's throw a party. Like, it doesn't work that way. It's usually any sort of like real growth or breakthrough. It is accompanied with a lot of insecurity and self-doubt. And even when you're on the other side of that, there's there's anxiety of like, well, what if I fall back? What if I screw up again? What if I relapse? You know? Um it's it's not an easy process and it doesn't always there are like it does feel great sometimes but it also feels not great sometimes <laughs> and i think it's just useful to be realistic about that well i mean it's interesting that we're talking about this at the same time we're talking about you entering into this new era in your career you creating and you know narrating this movie you opening up your life to a, to a whole new level how were you able to let go during this process so the book came out in 2016 and we shot the film in 2021. So I had already had, I had about five years of doing interviews about the book. And so I had talked about all the stories and concepts a million times. In a way, it almost like, it was almost like practice for the film. So w- when it got time to sit down and actually narrate and talk through the film, that wasn't such a hard part. The hardest part for me was... I don't know. Can I curse on this podcast? Sure. <laughs> awesome. All right. I don't know a a damn thing about filmmaking. And that was apparent very quickly. Like my first meeting with the director, he started asking me all these questions. And I was like, whoa, I have no fucking clue what you're talking about, dude. Like, 
<laughs> you're the director. You 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 figure it out. And so there was a there was a lot of trust and letting go that I had had to go through of like this is my baby. It's you know my name's going to be on it. My face is going to be on it. But these other people, the director, the producer, the editor, they're actually making it. And that was very scary at first. And it took a lot of like, okay, just trust them, go with it, you know, assume it's going to be great. And then, you know, as, as we started going through production and things started shaping up, I was like, okay, good. They know what they're doing. <laughs> but, um, you know, early on, it was, it was a little bit terrifying. But this wasn't the first time you had been pitched on the concept of turning your book into a movie, right? No, I I was pitched multiple times and and all sorts of stuff. I mean, my agent and I we got we had meetings about sitcoms and reality shows and even a drama made out of like a teenage version of Mark, like it just tons and tons of stuff which you know, when you take those meetings, it's very sexy and exciting. You're like, oh my God, this person in Hollywood wants to talk to me about like my idea. Like that's a very seductive thing. But what I realized <laughs> once I actually got into these meetings, what I realized is I'm like, this makes no sense. <laughs> like I I'm I'm a I'm like a nerdy author who like sits in gym shorts most days each year alone in an office typing words onto a word document i'm not going to be on a reality tv show like this is crazy wait a minute uh, the younger you the player could have been on the reality <laughs> tv show for sure maybe maybe but that's not like that's not what what i want for myself i guess is what i'm saying and i also felt like that's not the most it doesn't honor the material the best like i i really do believe in the ideas and concepts of the book. And so I told my agent, I said, you know, whatever we do with it, whatever, whoever we give the rights to or whatever, you know, I, to me, what's most important is that the ideas are transmitted in a good way, in a way that's like going to land with people. And so when GFC approached us, they've done dozens of documentaries. They've done multiple documentaries based on books you know, when they approached us and they said, look, we just want, we just want to take the book and turn it into a visual medium and stay very, very loyal to the ideas and concepts within the book because we think they're powerful. That just made sense to me. So it was more around your visions aligned and, and trusting them. Yeah. I, I think it was, uh, you know, we wanted the same thing out of it. I think with some of the other pitches that we heard, a lot of it revolved. I think a lot, a lot of people were just realize it's a great title and it's a great brand. And so you can just kind of milk a lot of attention straight off of that. I think a lot of people kind of took maybe the wrong lessons from the book. Like I think they, they saw the humor and the irreverence and kind of the crazy stories. And they're like, Oh, we need to, we need to make a show out of that. Whereas with the documentary, Matthew, the producer, he came to me and he said, I love these ideas. We need, we need to get these ideas in front of more people. And that is what resonated with me. When starting out a new business, it's a complete pain to get through the LLC part. Taylor Brands makes it 90% easier. It's easy and affordable to get your LLC with Taylor Brands. Taylor Brands offers all the legal requirements for LLCs, such as registered agent, annual compliance, 
EIN, operating agreement, business license and permits, and much more. Taylor Brands walks you through each step of building a successful business and has everything you need all in one place. Bookkeeping, invoicing, business licenses and permits, business documents, bank accounts, and so much more. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using this link, taylorbrands.com slash confidence. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash confidence. So get started today with Taylor Brands. Are you tired of the stress and chaos of live launching? Who isn't, right? But if you've tried going evergreen, you know that's not the solution either. Hello, low conversions. So what's the answer? The Circuit Sales System is designed to make sales for you every single day while giving your audience all the excitement of live launching without you ever having to live launch again. What would increasing your current yearly revenue by 40 times look like for you? Okay, nobody's making any income guarantees here, but that's exactly what Nikki did for her business when she developed her circuit sales system. The circuit sales system is the automated system that combines the best of both live launching and evergreen with none of the worst. Think high conversions and high predictability without the chaos or risk. Get the free on-demand video training at circuitsalesystem.com slash confidence. Get the free on-demand video training at circuitsalesystem.com slash confidence. Well, I'll tell you as a reader and as someone who saw the movie, I, I agree. If anything, we get to see a whole nother side of you now in the movie, which to me, it made you much more relatable as a person. Mm. I'll tell you the beginning of the movie opening essentially around the story of when you're 13 years old and watching a young 13 year old you, I mean, what you went through getting arrested at school. I mean, the drugs, I'm a mother of a 15 year old immediately. I mean, I was heartbroken watching that and then hearing it right after that your parents divorced. I mean, I did not get that from the book. So it was immediately as a viewer pulled me right into that story. And it was so powerful. And I think that's got to be so relatable for everybody watching this. Yeah. And and that was very much part of our early discussions. So, I mean, the book is about 220 pages. And the first, you know, if you're going to turn a book into a movie, the first question is, okay, just to read this book out loud, it's probably about six hours to get through the whole thing. And we got to get that down to like 90 minutes, maybe 100 minutes at most. So we've immediately have to cut out like 70 to 80% of this and figure out what are we going to keep. And one of the first things that Matthew said is he said, look, like on a book, in a book, like people sit with you, a book's a very different experience. Like when you're sitting and reading over a long period of time, the author is able to kind of take you down these side trails and explain concepts and say like, researchers discovered this in these experiments in the 1950s. And this is how this relates to this concept that we talked about earlier. He said in a movie, it's that doesn't really work. In a movie, people need a person to sympathize with and to relate to. And so he he was the one who was like, we need to put you front and center and make your story kind of the central focus of the film because in the book, it's like I use my own stories as a way to 
as, as examples for the concepts I'm talking about. Whereas in the movie, it's kind of the other way around. We start with my story, we get the, the concepts and lessons and pull them out of that story. So it's kind of inverted in a way, if that makes sense. Yeah. And for everyone listening, the best analogy I can give is I'm not someone who sits around and necessarily reads the Bible every night. However, there is a show out right now called The Chosen, which is incredible and has just reactivated me and captured me in a way that simply reading wasn't able to do. So for anyone who's already read the book, you're going to love the movie. But if you haven't read the book, this is such a different way to access the content and get you're going to get the same messaging, but in such a different way that if you are a visual learner, I really think it's going to pull people in. They did an incredible job with how differently this movie is cut up. Yeah, it's visually, it's a very eclectic kind of wild ride. And that was mostly Nathan, the director. He and I had a lot of good conversations about like why the book worked. And I think one of the reasons why people like the book so so much is that it broke convention a lot. Like for decades, people, if you bought a self-help book, you kind of knew exactly what you were going to get. Like it, it, it was going to be a lot of feel-good, fluffy, nice stories about success and happiness. And, you know, here are the three steps to achieve this and that. And the book kind of just spit in the face of all that. Like it, it very intentionally messed with people's expectations was very irreverent, was very funny, had some very difficult stories, like challenging stories, but also some very like light and funny stories mixed in. It's like fast paced and it's it's always kind of changing up what the reader is expecting. And so Nathan and I had conversations about doing that with the film because there's a lot of a lot of documentaries, especially documentaries based on books. It's a almost like a dry kind of academic interpretation of you know, well, here, this is what chapter three said, and now we're going to show it. And this is what chapter four said, and now we're going to show it. And so he and I had, we very consciously were like, we want it to be a little bit crazy, a little bit weird, definitely funny. And we want to mix formats. We want to have like animations and B-roll and hire some actors to do some crazy stuff and then have me talking for a while and and just kind of always keep the audience on their toes of like not knowing what's going to happen next. Yeah. And incorporating the bombing in in Japan. I mean, there's so many things going on. You're getting pulled in so many different directions that it really, it keeps you so focused on the film. And again, like I said, I'm someone who's read the books. So you you think, is this going to be, it's very different. However, again, to the messaging, it, it definitely hits home. All right. So some of the key points for people who haven't read the book yet and are thinking, why would I want to watch this film? I want to get into this whole idea uh, that is, you know, not the popular belief out there that not everybody's special. In fact, are really any of us special? And you diving into that. This is when I'm I'm kind of like the turd in the in the punch bowl. Um, I, <laughs> I very much bang on the drum of this idea that we're not special. I I I understand why we tell ourselves and tell each other that we're special. And look, like. If you're a mom or a dad, obviously your kids are the most special thing in the world to you. And to you, they're like these perfectly unique, amazing human beings. But I think in terms of understanding our relationship with ourselves and and our relationship with the world, I actually find it a lot more liberating and helpful to remind myself of all the ways that I'm not special. That even if I accomplish something great, the accomplished quote unquote success, however I choose to define it, 99% of my time each day is spent doing very, very average things, worrying about very, very average problems, and 
messing up in very, very average ways. And I think so much of our culture, and I don't know if this is, you know, I don't think it's driven by social media or television or whatever, but like so much of our culture revolves around the extremes. It revolves around the finding the thing, like the the outlier, the the thing that you are either incredibly good at or incredibly bad at and focusing on that and ignoring the 99% of the stuff that you are pretty much like everybody else. But I think when you focus on that 99% of the stuff that is like everybody else, it liberates you because you realize like, oh, my problems are actually not that unique. Like everybody struggles with insecurities like this. Every family has problems. Every job has frustrations and part, parts and periods that you don't like and you don't know if you're going to get through. Um, everybody deals with loss at some point. So it's, to me, that's that's a very powerful concept because I think one of the things, one of the problems that we all have is that when we have a, when we're very hurt or upset about something, we kind of trick ourselves into thinking that nobody else can understand that like we're the only ones that feel that way and therefore we're weird. And so you don't say anything because then other people will know you're weird. But when you realize like, no, no, actually everybody has that problem and everybody also has the problem of not saying anything about it because they think that they're going to be weird if they say something, it just liberates everybody to start talking about it. CBDistillery.com is giving you an exclusive offer and it's huge right now. You can get up to 30% off everything. If you've struggled with sleep, stress, or pain after physical activity, cbdistillery.com has a targeted plant-powered solution just for you. I love hearing how many of you have seen improvement in your daily life, thanks to CBD. So if better sleep, more calm, and relief from discomfort after physical activity sounds good to you, you should explore CBD. Don't miss this massive sale and get up to 30% off your order. Visit cbdistillery.com and enter VIP. That's cbdistillery.com and enter VIP at cbdistillery.com. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, and South Dakota. When I started podcasting, an online store was the furthest thing from my mind. Now I'm selling my group coaching on the regular and it is just so easy, all because I use Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to, did we just hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soaps or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling. Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort, thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. I didn't know what I was going to do when I got fired. Launching my own business seemed so intimidating. I didn't know how to set up a website, and I really didn't need to. Shopify does it all for you, and they make it so easy. It was that breakthrough moment for me that I realized, I can do this. I can go to work for myself, thanks to Shopify. 
What I love about Shopify is you don't need to have all this technology information ready to, you don't need to know how to plan and run things. You just need to go to the platform, turn it on and know what you're selling. And Shopify is going to help you figure out the rest. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries, including your girl right here. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Monahan all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Monaghan now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Monaghan. No matter what stage you're at, they're going to make it easy. All right. So I want to get into this. I don't know if this guy is a caricature or if this really was your friend. I mean, you're claiming he was your friend, but this guy, Jimmy, is Wow. I mean, this guy is incredible, but you set it up. So basically saying, listen, there was this error of, you know, we were telling everyone they were so special and they're so amazing and you're going to get an award for doing nothing. And then suddenly we have an entire generation of of your (laughs) friend, Jimmy. Jimmy was a party friend, which is very different than a friend friend. (laughs) Thank goodness. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, there's just a general sense these days that people people feel entitled to not only things, but entitled to feel good all the time. And I think those two things are actually very connected because if you look at, so to catch everybody up, you know, my, my friend Jimmy that I talk about in the book is a little bit of a con man, like a low level con man, like a cheesy guy at the nightclub con man. He was taking shares and stocks from companies and, and advising them when he had never advised any companies. He's a total con man. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He was a con man. But um, <laughs> funny story about Jimmy. So the the director of the movie, he was like, "Hey, can you can you look like Are you still in touch with this guy?" I was like, "Absolutely not." And it, uh, he he was like, "Can you like show me a picture of like I just want to get a sense of." You know, who who is this guy? What does he look like? I went, started digging around Facebook to find this guy. Uh, I hadn't talked to him in 10 years. And sure enough, I find him. I find his Facebook profile and I click on it. And the top thing on his Facebook profile is a video of him standing on a runway in front of a private jet telling everybody that like if they sign up now, they'll they'll be able to join his exclusive platinum club and join him on his jet. And I'm like watching it and I'm like, okay, I know him well enough to know that that's not his jet. He's just <laughs> he just drove to a runway somewhere and is standing in front of like convinced somebody to let him stand in front of it. And I was like, wow, the dude has not changed a bit. So anyway, back to entitlement. So I think people who do stuff like Jimmy, like Jimmy doesn't think he's a bad guy. He thinks he's a good guy. Like it's there's a great quote from that I love from David Foster Wallace. He says, evil people don't think they're evil. They think everyone else is evil. And so Jimmy, he doesn't think he's a bad guy. He thinks he thinks everything he does, all the shady, you know, creepy stuff he does is is worth it. It's like a means to an end. But the thing that causes him to feel that way is this this sense of entitlement of like, well, of course I should be able to stand in front of a private jet. That's who I am. I'm going to be a private jet guy. Like that's what I believe. I'm I'm going to be I'm going to be a super rich private jet guy and so I'm just going to like 
sneak onto a runway and film a video and tell everybody it's my jet, even when it's not. Like they they start convincing themselves that they deserve these things without actually going through the sacrifice and the struggle to get there. And so I think, you know, that's kind of an extreme example of just this unwillingness to face pain in one's life, this unwillingness to sit with a struggle and actually work through it rather than finding a way to to avoid it and run from it. Well, I appreciate you sharing that behind the scenes that Jimmy is still where we left him because I think it's interesting in that you are not, right? So what that says to me is people have the ability to change if they mm-hmm. become self-aware or you know, not to, to stay on that same path. And again, no judgment. People need to do what works for them. I'm on the wanting to change journey. But one of the things that you highlight in the movie that I, I really connected with was that story of, you know, you dating women. And at first you're thinking, you know, what's wrong with them. And then when you get cheated on, then suddenly you're heartbroken and you start this journey of looking within and noticing these patterns. Can you share a little bit about what you teach there? Yeah, it's, this is a good, good example of, you know, I had my heart broken by my, my first girlfriend in a, in a pretty extravagant way. And I think like a lot of young, immature people, rather than looking at myself and asking the difficult questions of, well, why was I so attracted to this person? Why did I ignore so many red flags? Why did I tolerate you know, these sorts of behaviors? What did I do to contribute to this relationship? Like, What, what could, I, could I have done better? Instead of asking those difficult, mature questions, I, I did kind of the, the immature, easy thing, which is I'm like, well, clearly women are just evil, <laughs> just selfish, right? It's, it's clearly, it's the women's fault. Clearly. And um, yeah, and it's, it, so it's a perfect example of like evil people don't think they're evil. Evil people think everybody else is evil. And, and because I start, I, I, I protected myself with these irrational beliefs around relationships and women and sex. I became an asshole. Like I, I became a really bad boyfriend who cheated on people. And it, it, and it took a number of years of like patterns repeating for it to kind of dawn on me of like, Hey, wait a second. There's only one thing that all of these relationships have in common. And that's me. Obviously I'm contributing something to, to these, to these patterns. And it wasn't until that point that I was able to look back at that early relationship, that first relationship. And realize, wow, I wasn't such an angel after all. Like I was kind of a bad boyfriend and I was selfish in a lot of ways that I didn't realize at the time. And and there were a lot of problems in the relationship that I was too immature or naive to address or deal with. And so, you know, of course she left me. Like that's it's actually not surprising in hindsight that she left me. And so it's I think that's just it's a it's one example of how. Again, coming back to how growth is not a weekend retreat. Growth is, it's actually, it's usually slower than we want and it's not as linear as we want. You know, it comes in fits and spurts and plateaus. And then it's also, it it doesn't feel good, right? It's like, it doesn't feel good to look back and realize, oh, that really heartbreaking thing that happened to me. You know, I was partially responsible for that. Like I have blame there as well. And that takes a like, that takes a lot of work to swallow that, <laughs> especially when you've kind of been feeding yourself these narratives for many years that you were this perfect angel that was wronged by this horrible, horrible woman. 
Well, for everybody right now who's having a visceral reaction to this because you've been cheated on, know that Mark is not like Jimmy. He has changed. He is married and he's actually repping for his wife right now in a Brazil sweatshirt. So shout out there. Okay. There's two <laughs> things I need to get to before I let you go. And I know I only have nine minutes left with you. All right. You were a hard metal rocker growing up and you were a big fan of Metallica and you share an amazing story and the power that pain can have to help someone and hurt someone. And I'm hoping you can share a little bit about that now. This actually ties in really well with be careful how you define success. So a lot of people don't know, but the original lead guitarist of Metallica was a guy named Dave Mustaine. He was right before Metallica recorded their first album. He was kicked out of the band. No reason was given. They just like handed him a bus ticket and sent him home. And um, he basically fumed all the way home. He was really heartbroken, upset, you know, similar age to how I was, similar reaction, right? It's like, those guys are assholes. I'm going to show them. And he went and formed a new band called Megadeth. And Megadeth went on to sell, God, I don't know, 100 million records, toured stadiums around the world. I mean, it's they're huge. They're arguably the second biggest heavy metal band of all time <laughs> behind Metallica. But it, it's fascinating because if you jump ahead 20 years, there was an amazing documentary about Metallica called Some Kind of Monster. And they actually went and interviewed Dave Mustaine in that documentary and it was the first time that Dave had sat down with the Metallica guys and like talked very openly about what had happened. And to everybody's surprise, like all the Metallica guys thought, like, oh, of course he's in he started Megadeth. He's fine. Like his life's great. In that that interview, Dave like broke down in tears and he said, I've always felt like a failure because no matter what I do, I'm always the guy who got kicked out of Metallica. And to me, it's just such a fascinating story of like you can rack up all the external accolades in the world. You can break all sorts of records, put up huge numbers. But if your internal definition of success is off, you can feel like a loser the entire time. To me, it's it's a cautionary tale of beware of how you define success for yourself because you maybe it helps early on. And I'm sure it did help him early on. It helped help him start Megadeth and make it a better band. But be careful because it can turn into a trap later. And so, you know, hold those definitions lightly. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have, the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. I want you to know that finding ways to be more efficient, cut costs, and get rid of errors and mistakes can completely transform your business, boost your performance 
at the same time. This is why you need NetSuite now. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to netsuite.com slash Monahan. netsuite.com slash Monahan. netsuite.com slash Monahan. Yeah, I think the word you used in the movie was a prison. And I just, I, I like that that word and that visual that it provided. But this guy, maybe he wasn't really in all that much pain. Maybe he's just really good at guilt tripping people and he got the last <laughs> laugh on them. I don't think that you're giving him full credit. Okay, so I said earlier that the movie opened with you as a 13-year-old boy, and that's not actually true. The movie opens and you're talking about death. And I wanted to get into this story, which was a really transformational story for you. And and I just, I love the lesson from it about losing a good friend when you were young and that powerful dream and and how it's impacted you. If you could share that. One of the most personal and powerful stories of the book and the film is when I was 19, I was at a party and, and a friend of mine named Josh suddenly drowned right in the middle of the party. It was very unexpected, very shocking, quite traumatic at the time. You know, it really kind of put me into a tailspin. But it was interesting because, you know, I, I went through a depression for a number of months in a grieving process. And but it it, it was also a little bit of a wake-up call. It, it taught me a very important lesson, which was, you know, as as such a young person and with somebody so close to me who had passed away, it was the first time that I really was exposed to my own mortality. And the consideration of like, oh my God, like this could be over tomorrow. This could be over. That could have been me. It could have been anybody. And it forced me to reevaluate a lot of the things that I was doing with my life. At the time, I was kind of a lazy stoner kid. Didn't put much effort in at school. Was very insecure. Smoked a lot of pot. Did a bunch of drugs. And it made me really, really think about like, dude, if if you go tomorrow, like, are you going to be happy with this? <laughs> like, what, what are you doing? Right? Like there's, there's a time limit here and you're not using that time well. And so it ended up being a, a, an incredibly transformational experience for me in a lot of ways. It was kind of the, the first experience I ever had in my life that like lit a fire under my ass and said like, dude, you, this is, you only get one shot. Like, get up and take it. You know, I quit, quit doing drugs. I started studying in school. I transferred to a better college, uh, got my life together, pretty powerful. And the concept I talk about in the book is how, you know, kind of returning to this conversation about how growth is not always pleasant. I think thinking about your own death is actually one of the most useful ways to kind of get a sense of what's worth pursuing and what's not worth pursuing. I think most people have an experience at some point in their life of either they have a scare in their own life or somebody close to them has a scare or somebody close to them passes away. And it and it kind of forces them to think about this of like, oh my God, like half of the stuff that I worry about on a day-to-day basis is completely pointless, does not matter, will not care if I go. So what are what's the 50% of things that does matter and I do care about? And actually a cool story related to that is when I was originally pitching subtle art to a bunch of different publishers back in 2015, you know, my agent and I were driving around New York. We were taking all these meetings at different editors and some of them went well, some of them didn't go so well. And 
And I went to HarperCollins and met with my editor, Luke Dempsey. And I think he he showed up to the meeting a couple minutes late, but my agent and I were sitting in, in the office or in the conference room and he just walked in. He put the manuscript on the table and he said, I'm a cancer survivor. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. And I'm going to publish your book. I don't, I don't care what it takes. And I was like, that's, that's my guy. He gets it. He totally gets it. Oh, it's so true and so powerful. Mark, all right, for everybody who's read the book, you've got to watch the movie. And if you haven't read the book, I highly suggest watching the movie. Where can people find the movie? So the movie is available on demand on streaming platforms. So Amazon Prime, YouTube, iTunes, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, you can go to, I believe it's subtleartmovie.com to find all that information. Well, I watched it on Apple TV. Definitely go to your digital provider and check it out. Mark, where can everybody find you? Markmanson.net. And then obviously every all over social media. All over social media. Bring in the heat, bring in the humor. Mark, thank you so much for all the work that you're doing. Thanks, Heather. All right, guys. Until next week, keep creating your confidence. on this journey with me. Hi, I'm here to tell you about a new podcast that I am so excited about, Negotiate Your Best Life, hosted by Rebecca Zung, a part of the Yap Media Network. As a globally renowned narcissist negotiation expert and an attorney recognized by U.S. News as a best lawyer in America, Rebecca shares her invaluable insights and strategies for navigating life's toughest negotiations. By drawing from her own experiences and the wisdom of her high-profile guests, such as Bob Proctor, Mark Victor Hansen, John Gordon, and Rebecca delivers empowering advice that will inspire you to reclaim control of your life. Negotiate Your Best Life is all about how to negotiate your way to greatness. She provides practical guidance on how to break free from toxic relationships, stand up against injustice, and transform chaos into freedom, possibility, and purpose. Many times, the first negotiation you do is with your own in the morning. In the morning is when you wake up, and that's when Negotiate Your Best Life is time for you. It's about to find your way to greatness, conquering obstacles, and creating the life you truly deserve. Get ready to slay thrive and unlock your full potential. Don't believe me? I'm going to go ahead and share some of the reviews that are out there so you can hear and you can believe too. You have helped me so much these last few weeks. I was with a narcissist for two years. She drove me to the point I wanted to take my own life. Listening to you has made a massive difference, and now I know what I'm with. Thank you, Rebecca. Now the recovery. Thank you for gifting the knowledge to believe in myself again. You have unknowingly helped me legally represent myself through criminal, federal, and civil court proceedings with a narcissist. There would be so many people around the world that you're helping without even knowing like me. You saved my life. Emma, 35 years old, Australia. If you are ready to stand up against injustice and transform the chaos in your life into freedom, possibility, and purpose, then check out Negotiate Your Best Life now. Subscribe to Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zung on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform.